0: Think about what Muhammad Ali said about the impossible. It's our choice, whether we just want to maintain what we've been given or explore the power, we have to change it.
1: Welcome to Action This, practical wisdom from experienced management pros, a podcast series featuring a stacked roster of industry guests dishing about what it really takes for brands to thrive all right hello everyone welcome to the action this podcast i'm your host zach hamilton and i am really excited uh this is just our third episode uh but i'm really excited for today's guest today we have uh gabber george burt with us gabber welcome to the podcast
0: thank you zach pleasure especially to be number three Uh yes in your series. Wow. Yeah,
1: Number three, exciting for our discussion today. You and I've had a lot of great uh, conversation already. I know many of our listeners um, really are CMOs, really at the executive level, chief experience officers, chief strategy officers. I'm sure many of them know you, Gabber, your work. Um, But real quickly, for those of you who may not know Gabber, um, he has an incredible just body of work and who he is and Um, Just how he's helped brands globally. So I want to give you a little bit of background before we get to our conversation for those of you um, who do not know him. So Gabber um, is a global authority on creative transformation and high impact strategy. He's the founder of the Slingshot framework. He's also one of the core original experts of Blue Ocean Strategy, the new millennium's most influential management concept and the contributor to the worldwide best-selling Blue Ocean Strategy book. Gabber launched the Slingshot Framework in 2011 as an expansion of his Blue Ocean Strategy work. Slingshot enjoys worldwide recognition at the forefront of global innovation, which we can all agree we need more innovation now than, than ever. The framework shows how to engage creative thinking to systematically reimagine market boundaries, filling a major global need. An IBM survey of 1,500 CEOs worldwide found that creativity is considered the single most important leadership trait for future success. Gabber is recognized amongst the top 13 future-shaping innovation visionaries. Uh, Gabber has also um, been featured among high-profile events delivered, such as opening presentation at Global Marketing Forum designed and hosted the Forum for Partnership of the Americas, so gathering of business and government leaders from across the Western Hemisphere. Gabbard has shared the stage with Seth Godin and Sir Richard Branson at Forum One, one of Europe's biggest leadership events with over 5,000 participants. Designed and co-hosted the first Arab Innovation Forum and spoke multiple times at the Dubai Knowledge Summit and also closing keynote at Africa rising conference. He's one of three judges for the EU Innovation Venture Award. Uh, Gabber works with executive teams of, of multinationals, um, subject matter experts, government agencies, and startups in applying the Slingshot framework to reimagine market boundaries and carve out high-growth strategies. Among them, Gabbard's helped American Express launch an entire new business in partnership with Walmart, you have articles published in Harvest Business Review, Forbes Entrepreneur, Disruption Hub, and Conference Board. Wow. Gabber, we are honored that you are our third guest uh, and so glad that you're here. I think, um, you know, brilliant minds like yourself uh, and the message that you have to share, and the experience that you have uh, through that incredible bio, uh, we're looking for the conversation. So well, thank
0: you, Zach, and uh, and you really didn't have to uh, <laughs> read all that. It sounded, uh, uh, you know, a lot like a eulogy, but uh, but I'll take it. So yeah, let's uh, let's get into into yeah. Let us chat.
1: Let's chat. So, Gabriel, I think what's really fascinating about leaders like yourself, right? You don't you don't get to have that type of career um, and influence around the world like I like I just read and. Um, To me, you know, that, that is, you know, what you're known for. So what I'm curious about is, is your story, right? Mm -hmm. Growing up, what fueled Gabber? um, What was that aha moment for you? What led you to, you know, this incredible, you know, career and profession that you have? Like, tell our listeners, what's, what's your journey?
0: Sure. And uh, let me start uh, answering that by uh... Uh, by uh, sharing a fun fact, and that is that for a brief moment, I was once the youngest person on earth. Wow. will let that sink in for a moment, um, and for you to also think through that, of course, that's true for you as well, right? And it's true for, for all of us, that uh, when we were born, for that very special one or two seconds, we were, in fact all of us at one time, the youngest uh, person on earth. And why that's a really good place to start is because the whole premise of uh, my Slingshot framework and hence the name even, the, the brand uh, Slingshot is all about reconnecting and staying connected with our childhood sense of curiosity, wonder, innovation and creativity. So my, uh, my journey that really led me to what I'm doing today Uh, is uh, based on the fact that I was born in Budapest. So my name, Gabor, is is Hungarian. Spent my first 12 years there. um, And then I was uprooted and brought to the US. Uh, My mother remarried, and so for family reasons, uh, we uh, moved over to the East Coast. And as you can imagine, at that age, uh, that was a complete disruption for me in terms of uh, the way that I knew the world. I didn't speak a word of English at that time. Uh, Hungary was still communist. So the entire environment, everything was, was very different. And I think that experience in itself gave me this intense curiosity and, and in essence, even a sense of detachment to, to start comparing, to start asking the, what if questions, you know, why does, uh, why do people think or do things this way here while they do things differently somewhere else? Um, and uh, when I graduated and I studied psychology beside economics, so there's another, I think important point that I always had an interest in what really motivates people, right? What motivates people to, to really excel or to, uh, or to feel engaged or to maximize their potential. And uh, after studying psychology and undergrad, I went back to business school in Europe and when I graduated is really when uh, the uh, Iron Curtain was coming down. So I had the opportunity and took it to go back to Eastern Europe and be part of that decade of change, which to me was one of the most phenomenal periods in uh, in human history where entire region uh, changed completely, politically, economically, culturally, uh, and mostly peacefully. And, uh, and again, just kind of being part of that experience uh, of, of disruption and fundamental change was another kind of big uh, uh, foundation for doing what I do, which is really about uh, mastering creative transformation. And so the last point I'll just make it just to kind of see how this all came together. Um, I was actually running my own business. It was a financial software business, but my favorite professor from business school Uh, who I became friends with, uh, called and said, you know, I just completed the research to this uh, concept that I think will have global appeal and invited me to be one of the first people to to join the inner core. And that's what became Blue Ocean Strategy. And that, you know, the whole concept of it just really appealed to me for reasons I just explained. It was a very good fit with my uh, personal perspective and, and interest. I transitioned myself out of the company that I founded and started to become a blue oceanographer, which then led me to uh, to Slingshot.
1: Amazing. That, Gabber, um, all the change that, that you experienced, right? With different cultures, like you said, the change, the disruption, reconnecting. I'm curious when you think about today, right? Everything that you experienced growing up and the cultures and, and everything, Do you see that we're going through kind of that same thing right now with the political environment globally? You think about um, the social injustice and the social unrest that's happening. We think about climate change. We think about really behavior, right? And how Mm -hmm. customers and people and employees were all behaving differently. Do you kind of see... Is it deja vu for you? Is it uh, you know? Wow, this is this is another era. We're going to have another kind of regeneration, reborn.
0: Yeah, it's a it's a good good question. And you know, my my view on that is, first of all, especially during this latest uh, crisis, the uh, the pandemic, um, I kept on referencing this great quote by Paul Romer, uh, a Nobel Prize winning economist, who said that. A, a crisis is a terrible thing to waste right because it's really a matter of perspective crisis is profound change and we live in a period of accelerated change so when a crisis happens it just means that it's one of the it's a more extreme manifestations of what we should understand to be our normal and during that time all of us have the opportunity to flip our mindset and look at it as opportunity. Why? Because when the normal vanishes, uh, we can all be the creators of the new normal. We can be among the future shapers. So all those things that you mentioned, all those difficulties, all those obstacles, all those challenges are absolutely true. But I believe that the key to solving them and put ourselves in position to, to look at them as opportunities in disguise is our ability to uh, implement this wonderful resource we all have which is our creativity it's completely free it's abundant universal that we we all have it and it's really what uh, what uh, is at the core of our ability to uh, to uh, to really direct our our future so that's my th- thinking around that
1: yeah you know it's so interesting gabber is You know, I recently got asked this question of, um, you know, why are you a, why are you an experienced professional, Mm. right? I never started out as an experienced professional. Uh, I've been a retailer at heart. I started out my whole life in operations, right? In high school, I picked up, you know, frontline employee jobs. My parents, you know, I have a, I have a sneaker addiction. So my parents finally said, we're not going to buy you those $200 sneakers. You got to earn the money yourself. And kind of the response that I gave as an experienced professional was, look, I, I'm a rule breaker. You know, mm-hmm. my mom will tell you, although I did it very respectfully, I would always challenge her. I would challenge the status quo. You know, if I always got the answer from a supervisor of we've always done it this way, I was always trying to think about other ways that we could do it differently, Right and what i didn't realize is that's the kind of that perfect persona for an experienced professional. And you know the action in this podcast as you know although we we do have a lot of cmo's that tune in who where customer experience really rolls up into their organization what we've heard time and time again gabber is experienced professionals want to change the way that their brands are interacting Uh, with customers, and the way that they're interacting with their employees, and how do we reimagine these new boundaries? I never once thought of myself as a creative. I really thought of creatives as um, artists, right? You're really good at painting, you're really good at drawing, or you're an incredible poet, for example. And what I found out as I continue on in my journey and doing a lot of soul searching is I really am a creative at heart. Like you said, all of us are creatives at heart, because we're trying to create new lifestyles for ourselves or we're trying to change our behaviors. And so when you think about the, the experienced professional, well, who's listening, can you just double tap into a little bit more around why creativity is so important in the role that they play to the brand strategy that they're trying to deliver or influence at their organizations?
0: Sure. And that's so uh, those are some great uh, thoughts. And, uh, and perspectives uh, based on your own uh, personal journey. I mean, you you talked about how you became an experienced professional, but that's not what you set out to become, but that your experience has kind of uh, molded you into that space. Um, And it's really interesting. First of all, there's a wonderful quote by Muhammad Ali, who had this fascination uh, with the, the word impossible. And Muhammad Ali said that impossible is just a word thrown around by small people who'd rather live in the world that they've been given than to explore the power they have to change it impossible is not a fact it's an opinion it's a dare right i love that impossible is a dare and when you're talking about uh, brand um, the interaction of a brand with it with a customer and you, and you made the statement that uh, that experience uh, experience professionals are all about continuously changing or evolving that experience. And, and, And the reason that is so powerful and it has to be the way that we approach that is because there is no such thing as a perfect experience, right? And that to me is a fundamental truth that is incredibly powerful. And and it's at the core of my slingshot framework. And that's why I talk about infatuating our customers, not satisfying, not even delighting or enchanting, because infatuating is the only word that captures a very strong, but very fleeting, very short-term connection, emotional connection. And, And the way I justify it, it's really... I, you know, first of all, a, a, a very simple personal test. I ask, and let me ask you uh, to think about this or answer this: What is your favorite thing right now that you purchased? Uh, either it could be an object, or it could even be an experience. So, uh, so a service. What comes to mind if, if I ask you that, so Zach? What, what's your favorite thing that that you bought, uh, that you paid for, uh, that you that, that you just are really drawn to.
1: Yeah, uh love that question. You know, immediately what comes to mind is of course a pair of sneakers, but I think yeah. right now what I'm infatuated with is you know, my we we have a 13-year-old daughter and uh you know, she loves to be out on the water. Yes. So last weekend, uh we went out. We we've, we've been borrowing, you know, some friends' kayaks and she said, "Hey, for my 13th birthday, I'd love I would love a kayak. And Mm -hmm. she even said, I will pay for half of it. So I saved up my Christmas money and my, my birthday money that I was given. Mm -hmm. And so we went and buy bought two kayaks and last weekend was such a perfect weekend. Great weather here in Atlanta where we were able to spend a couple hours together, just kayaking out on the lake, Mm -hmm. having good conversation um, and really just enjoying life mm-hmm. at that moment right that experience uh, that the kayak has provided just to us to spend that quality time together so i would say that recent purchase that that delivered a great experience for me and not necessarily the, the experience of buying it but mm-hmm. what the kayaks gave us
0: yeah no that those are good examples so let me unpack that a little bit so so I thought you would gravitate also, of course, to your, your sneakers. And you mentioned that you have a fairly extensive connect, uh, collection of them. Yep. So that in itself is a clue that there isn't one particular one that in itself is perfect just the way it is. So one of the things that, that you enjoy is the, the collection, is the variety of sneakers that you have perhaps that matches your, your mood or particular, uh, particular uh, perspective on, on, on a day that you wear them. Uh, with the kayak, it's the same thing. It was a it was a great uh, experience. Also, a recent purchase, which is very important. Um, but as you repeat, even that perfect experience, you may discover things that that would make it even more perfect, right? Maybe a larger kayak so you can bring uh, a dog with you. Maybe something a, a kayak that has a cooler. Maybe larger paddles or whatever that is. And uh, it's the same thing that. Uh, uh, when we talk about the, the greatest uh, musical artists in the world, so among them are artists like Madonna, Michael Jackson, and the Beatles. And uh, the three of them, uh, the average time that their songs were at the top of the charts, the number one position position in the billboard charts each for each of those three artists is less than three weeks, right, so the question becomes at the end of three weeks, do their songs all of a sudden become bad? Do they become corrupted, uh, or uh, or 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 is it something else? And it's and that something else is no, they're just as good, but they're no longer new, they're they're stale, right? We want something fresh from the same artists. And that's true in every single relationship and experience. Doesn't matter if you're in a B2C business or B2B, as soon as you bring something to your target audience, your customers, that they really are uh, enamored by, that they react positive to, they will be elated. And that's that state of infatuation. I, in fact, call that infatuation interval but after a while it will become the new normal, the new status quo and they'll expect that and they will be excited emotionally by the same level of offering less and less. And this is that incredibly powerful cycle that every business and every experience officer, CMO can tap into is understanding that cyclicality because it gives you the perfect platform to innovate your experience design to understand when and how you should do something again to again, spark that a new cycle of, uh, infatuation. So
1: I love that. I love that example, Gabber, right? It, uh, it, and you're, and you're so right. The kayaks are so new as I was dropping, you know, Madison off to school today, she said, Hey dad, after school, it's going to be really nice. Can we go out on the lake for a couple hours before we have dinner? Um, because the lake's not too far from our house. And so it's, I can see that infatuation for her. I know you and I have also talked about infatuation when it comes to our sons, right? And I talked about, you know, Luca's infatuation right now with Paw Patrol, which resonated with us with your story about your son, right? Um, About Thomas the Train. And so, and so you really think about this, this infatuation, right? Where, Where things become stale. I think that's a great kind of notion when it comes to experiences, Mm -hmm. right? What I hear so many times Gabber is, Hey, this was a great experience, but then we don't evolve um, or innovate on that experience for a couple years. And then we wonder, you know, brands wonder why they're losing wallet share or, you know, they're losing customer segmentation. um, You know, customers are turning at a rapid rate and, and I truly believe retail is really just consumer behavior. Mm -hmm. Right. If you think about before the pandemic, we heard retails changing at the pandemic. It was retails changed. And I'm like, retail always has been and will continue to change because it's consumer behavior. And I love what you said earlier on is, hey, we're in this period of crisis right now and brands are all trying to figure out, you know, how to work through the crisis itself. But the experienced practitioner who's listening right now, they are the creator of the new normal right? They can refresh those experiences to where they're not stale. And so this leans into, can you give everyone just a quick overview of the Slingshot framework and how you've been able to evolve it just in itself, right? To where when you first rolled it out in 2011, it has evolved to where it is today and why you've been able to really um, lead and help just be a, a role Uh, play a role in a lot of just great brand transformation.
0: Absolutely. And, uh, you know, first of all, uh, I think it's important to state what my role is, right? So I am not a consultant. So I don't come in and tell anybody what to do and pretend that I understand their business better. My value add is the opposite, the fact that I don't know their business. So I can come in and really provoke them and to push them, outside of the way that they view what uh, what they do. And there's this wonderful uh, old Southern expression that perfectly captures the dynamics of that. And, and the expression says, you can't see the label if you're inside the jar, right? And that's what happens with every single business leadership team, no matter how successful, is that without knowing you actually Start to accept certain assumptions, traditions, definitions of your business, your customers, your environment, and you operate within that. And so, what I do, and what the Slingshot Framework does, is is to expose those artificial, self-imposed mental boundaries, and then provides a systematic framework to continuously go beyond that. And part of that is a six-question test that I give to my uh, victims or audience, uh, rather. And uh, with the wager that uh, you won't be able to get more than two out of the six questions correct from the perspective of really future shaping uh, visionary thinking. Very disarming questions such as what business are you in? What do you think is the goal of innovation? Uh, Who do you think are your most important competitors, et cetera? And almost every time I win that wager, right? And these are many times very successful uh, market leader leading companies and their, their their senior executive teams but then I say look at what we're actually set uh, what, what we've done you're already running a very successful business I just gave you a simple test and exposed boundaries that you put around yourself that's limiting your further success and here is when we're going to leave those behind so it's this moment of, Truth and uh, mind expansion that really then gets everybody aligned around this uh, this concept. And the and at the heart of SlingShot, you know, it's some very fundamental uh, and I think intuitive core concepts. So it's a it's a process of simplification to what we should really be thinking about, not the other way, not to add more complexity into an already confusing world. And the three things that we focus on is that is for you to be able to always identify the key pain points of your target audience and to transform them into points of delight and infatuation. Okay. And that's the most important one. That if you just get one, that's the one that that you want to master. The second is to continuously stretch the definition of the value that you provide and the boundaries of your relationship with your uh, customers, your target audience. And third is to take advantage of what I call the innovation shortcut, meaning that you don't ever need to invent anything, but rather look for new combinations of already existing resources, right? And if you can activate these three, uh, these three perspectives and do it throughout your organization, then you have what the the engine for continuously reimagining and being one of the the uh, future shapers of your space.
1: Yeah, that's so those three things I just I just quickly jot them down. They're so powerful, right? And I love your analogy of too many times brands are inside the jar looking out, and their idea of reimagining, for example, the product is let's just change what the label looks like. Mm. Not really understanding is it is what's inside the jar. Delivering value, right? Do we really like it? And so, when you think about those three bullet points, you know, you've worked with many, many, many different brands. Mm-hmm. I'm curious, in your mind, which one do brands typically focus on the most, and why?
0: Yeah, um, you know, it's what, what's interesting is that uh, most brands actually miss uh, these key points right? And that's really the, the opportunity. So, so those companies that, that really get it um, excel. On average, the companies that we work with increase their growth trajectory by 300%, right? Because it is so powerful, but also because it is new. They're not really focusing on it. And again, it's, it has to do with just the complexity of the world that they're dealing with, right? Uh, they're not able to kind of distill down to the, the, the core essence of things. But uh, but when you get it right, then uh, then really the uh, the three together uh, are, uh, are, are are I think incredibly uh, intuitive and therefore also powerful. But to answer your question, I think the, the one of the three that perhaps is is uh, kind of easiest to to grasp is the third one, the innovation shortcut. Um, especially during periods of crisis where your resources are limited, right? So companies are forced to not acquire new resources, but reshuffle existing resources in new ways. But I'll give you a fun example of, uh, of just the, uh, uh, the, this process that maybe uh, the listeners would appreciate that. So right before the pandemic, Spirit Airlines announced new configuration for their uh, flights, a new seating configuration. And I think uh, we can all agree that the, typically the worst seat on any airline is the middle seat, right? So if you don't get the aisle and you don't get the window, you feel like a sucker, right? You feel like you've been picked on that, that you have to sit in the middle. So what Spirit Airlines did is it announced that they are widening the middle seat by one inch, right? So just a minor, minor adjustment, but the psychological effect is exactly what I'm talking about. Now, what was seen as the worst part of the experience, being stuck in the middle, is all of a sudden seen as the best part because you have the most comfortable seat in the middle, the most space, right? So a lot of this is packaging and and just the perception that you are delivering as part of that experience, but that's the power of, of this transformation from the worst part of the customer's experience into now what is seen as the best part.
1: Yeah, that's such a great, uh, that's such a great example, Gabri, you know, it reminds me of, you know, my wife and I have been, have been loyal discover card holders for such a long time. I mean, I got my discover card when I went to college, uh, and it's the only card that we really have ever carried. Great, I mean, great, great customer service, right? We've never had an issue. If we do, their customer service is phenomenal. But as international travel now is starting to come back and and I said, hey, I've got to go to Europe. uh, My Discover card's not gonna work in Europe, of course, Mm -hmm. right? And so I was looking at um, different cards. And so I had, we got the Amex card again, phenomenal experience of activating the card, but what was interesting was Apple, you know, sent me a personalized message and said, Hey, we would basically activate the card. And not that I wanted another card for a card's sake, but I was really interested in the Apple experience, right? Because I've always had an iPhone. I've always had a Mac. I've I'm an Apple user. And I was really just curious on, okay, what's the experience like with their card? Yeah. So I got the card because I was really just interested in what that overall experience was. And, you know, you definitely don't have to have the card, but they said, hey, would you like our titanium card? And of course I was like, yes, because I want to see what that full experience was. What's really interesting, Gabber, is when it was delivered to me last week, you know, when you get a new phone, you typically just put your old phone by your new phone Mm -hmm. And it automatically just transfers everything over Mm -hmm. so easy. Mm -hmm. When I got the Apple card, all I had to do was put it right on the top of my iPhone activated. Mm -hmm. And you know, right. When you get a new credit card, you have to call in, you have to go online, you have to enter all your information. It's a 15 minute process to activate your card, download the app, all those different things. And so to your point, Apple made it so easy. Yeah. Where it wasn't about the card. It was like, wow, that drove infatuation for me. I actually texted like four of my friends and was like, this is an amazing experience. You got to try it.
0: Yeah. And that's a great, uh, you know, personal uh, testament. Exactly. That, that uh, even though you may, someone may say, well, that's not even a big deal. That was a small thing, right? You're activating a card. And maybe even to say, well, that's maybe even an obvious uh, innovation, but it's only obvious in hindsight, right? So, so it's only obvious once you actually do something about some that everybody grudgingly goes through, such as activating a card. And it's the same thing that I travel frequently and often with uh, with several layovers. So it was always to me a similarly kind of irritating. Uh, uh, friction point or pain point to keep track of my different boarding cards, right? To know which one I can discard because I've already taken that uh, segment and and to keep the ones that uh, that are still remain on the trip. And so years ago when Delta, uh, before it was Delta, it was Northwest, all of a sudden issued me a single ticket with all boarding paths with all the three flights on it. And it was the same reaction that you had. I said, finally, somebody understands what the, 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 the experience is really like and did something about, about a, a point of irritation. And what was brilliant about that is that it's also good business because it saves resources. Instead of having to print three pieces of paper, it printed just a single one, right? And so those are the things that, uh, if you start doing it in small steps, and develop a culture around it, that's when you can start doing it in in amplified ways that that create market disruption.
1: Chatter by Stingray proudly presents Action This. Let's have a chat. Visit chatterresearch.com to try out our online feedback demo and experience the chatter effect. I I want to tap into this slingshot slingshot strategy a little Mm -hmm. bit more, right? So so you mentioned, um, you know, very few brands can nail all three, Mm -hmm. right? They really get it. And when they get it, their, their results are just accelerated. You know, I find that, you know, as well, when you think about customer and employee experience strategy, I really just talk about it as what's the experience strategy today where, you know, many listeners... know to the podcast right now this action this podcast they all have the desire to to deliver that value to nail all three of those points and very rarely do they have the opportunity to influence their organization so i'd love just to hear from from your point of view just in all of your experience Mm -hmm. why why do brands if they know Hey, three hundred percent acceleration in growth and revenue. We know the we know the benefits. Then mm-hmm. what's getting in their way? Why aren't they not mastering this?
0: Yeah, uh, that's uh, that's a very good question. I mean, a lot of it has to do with friction, uh, with the uh, tradition. You know, all these things that hold us back. Uh, when, uh, you know, when uh, there's this um, there's this this wonderful uh, uh, joke. Uh, that goes like this: uh, How many psychologists does it uh, take to change a light bulb? And the answer is just one. But the light bulb really, really has to want to change, right? And uh, and it's the same with uh, with people, of course, and, and organizations that we are resistant to change. So so there is a, a built-in kind of mindset that. that we want to hang on and protect the status quo, even though it makes no sense at all. And there's so many stories about this, the fact that you know Kodak invented uh, digital film uh, a long, long time ago, but it never introduced it because it felt it would cannibalize its film business. And now, of course, the company became the casualty of uh, digital uh, film. Motorola invented uh, the, uh, uh, the cell phone um, uh, and uh, in the in 1970s, but it was Nokia in the early 1990s that actually popularized it, right? So the, 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 the reason why, even though it makes sense and you think it would be intuitive is because there is inertia, there is resistance and, and friction in organizations. But the more that, uh, uh, that we can demonstrate the success the more that uh, we see a world that otherwise doesn't make sense and that companies realize that doing nothing, standing still is not an option, the more that this becomes uh, uh, much more clearly the path. But the other way I want to answer your question real quick, because you said a lot of times uh, experienced professionals are not in a position to uh, make change right, or to, to direct their organization. But what they can do. And, and this is really powerful, is to continuously observe their customers and in fact, go through the experience of their customers, right? And once you do that continuously, that will drive such results, the insights that you generate, and then your ability to, to lock in on key customer pain points and then turn them into points of delight infatuation. Once you just start doing that at your level, that will create such powerful results that it will get the attention of your senior management team to uh, take it on as part of the overall uh, strategy.
1: I think that's, that's such great advice, Gabra, right? Really around experience your own brand. Too many times, you know, we become, to your point, right? We get blinded by we know our brand, we know our operation, but really what we have to do is really influence our organization around, let's let's just let's put our, and again, to a mindset of, we don't know our brand. We're gonna experience it for the first time. Let's be our own customer um, and really understand what does that journey look like? And are we creating infatuation, delight, value? Or are we creating friction? Are we, creating inconvenient experiences because this is an operational procedure that we've had for 15 years that we don't want to take our operations or disrupt operations through change management. Although we know this is what we need to do. We're just thinking short-term for, for our P&L, right? If you really think about it. And so I Not love it. that advice of experience your own brand, right? Mm-hmm. You pretend like you don't know who your brand is. And I think this kind of now, double clicks into Blue Ocean Strategy. Um, and that's how we connected, right? So, I've, I've been thinking through, you know, one of my goals was always to have my MBA, and I had started my MBA, and then, you know, my professional life got in the way, and, and some of my health had gotten in the way, you know, and, in, in, you know, that journey. And, and so, I kind of put my education on the back burner, and, and I was trying to think through, hey, I know I travel a lot. I sit at the soccer fields for a long time while Madison's training or the basketball court while Eloise is training. And so I ran into the Power MBA and I thought, wow, this is a great way to just learn something different, take a different point of view than traditional university education. Not that it's a bad thing, but I'm always like, hey, I want to challenge the status quo. I like to try new things. And one of the units is really around Blue Ocean Strategy. And, you know, I've read the book once, mm-hmm. I'm actually listening to it again, just to, to help myself reset um, with Blue and Red Ocean. So mm-hmm. walk us through, you know, just the work that was involved and in, in being one of the core contributors to Blue Ocean Strategy and, and why you saw a need to really democratize the learnings around the Blue Ocean Strategy.
0: Yeah, so Blue Ocean Strategy uh, became the the most influential leadership concept of the new millennium. Amazingly, has sold over um, four million copies, which for a business book is just uh, uh, you know unheard of. Translated into fifty languages, including Mongolian and Icelandic, uh, and and has really become part of business speak. Right, Blue Ocean means uh, a uh, uncontested market space. So doing something so compelling that you have a market space to yourself without competitors and with mass customer appeal. Um, now, the the, the concept uh, was introduced uh, first through a series of articles in Harvard Business Review, then in book form in 2005, which was already, of course, a period of disruption. And of course, and, and because of that, Uh, it it was something that immediately uh, generated a lot of attention because it's all about creating your own market space. Um, And, uh, and so I mentioned in the beginning why it was personally interesting to me because it taps into unlocking creative potential. So for over 10 years, um, I went around the world to help. It was that, uh, while almost every one of them loves the idea and wanted, to, uh, wanted to, uh, uh, to create a blue ocean, very few were able to. So there was a disconnect between aspiration and uh, implementation. And part of the, the Slingshot uh, framework and the reason that I launched it was to create a practical guide to blue ocean strategy. So one of the things that Slingshot talks about is Don't just look at the world in red ocean and blue ocean terms, because that means that you either stay doing what you're doing or do something radically different. And that's a scary trade-off. So we talk about three levels of blue waters. Blue lake is to continuously refresh and optimize what you're already doing rather than having to uh, abandon it. Then blue sea, which is expanding what you're doing, do more. And, and deeper uh, with your customers. And third is blue ocean, where you're creating new space. And this way you can pursue the whole spectrum of innovation from incremental all the way to transformational, right? And when you talk about democratizing uh, the blue ocean strategy, that really is kind of the, the idea is to make it accessible, make it implementable to, uh, to everyone through, uh, through a practical approach.
1: Yeah, it's so fascinating. There's a lot we can unpack. You know, to me, I I love this approach. I know you and I have talked several times. You know, I think one of the the key uh, retail disruptors when the pandemic first hit is if you think about it for a couple of years, you know, brands really had this digital transformation strategy where they're going to completely transform uh, the way that customers interact with them, for example, and at the at the beginning of the pandemic, brands all of a sudden realized the investments we made the last two three years they're not going to serve our customers the way that the customers need to be served, and I think too many brands sometimes really believe hey we're going to transform one time and that's going to serve customer behavior and what i love about you know the blue ocean strategy in terms of the lake the sea the ocean and if you think about you know the slingshot framework is you're never finished right you're always innovating you're constantly understanding what's creating customer frictions and you're you know creating new ways that's right. to reduce that friction, to delight that customer, to, mm-hmm. to create brand infatuation. And so I think that's one of the conversations you and I've had really around. And the question I have is experienced professionals. A lot of times they find themselves as they have to be the innovators. Mm-hmm. And what I try to work with them around is you're the influencer of the organization. You're mm-hmm. the one who understands customer feedback, employee feedback, and you help democratize those insights and that data to your cross-functional stakeholders to help them innovate on those processes. And so when you think about you know the lake, the sea, the ocean, you think about Slingshot Framework, why do brands still just get stuck in transformation projects?
0: Yeah, I mean, a lot of it has to do with um with the fact that uh, what you and I are talking about and comes naturally because of the way that we're thinking is actually a radical shift in leadership and corporate culture. So even a a very recent study I was looking at uh, interviewing, uh, I think thousands of CEOs revealed that three quarters of them think that they will be losing their jobs soon because of disruption. And 94% of them think that their whole business model will be radically different in the near future, right? So, so the the, the the traditional or the previous model of management was about stability, and and control. What you and I are talking about is continuous change and management of that change. It's fundamentally different, and so until organizations understand the uh, the uh, the drivers of the new type of leadership and culture, you're going to run into those sort of uh, those sort of issues, uh, and 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 that's why for me, you know, I see my role as one of the, and perhaps you do too with yours, as one of the kind of ambassadors of this new uh, leadership era, uh, and and uh, empowering and enabling teams and companies to embrace. Uh, their, their ability. Just like, again, think about what Muhammad Ali said about the impossible. It's our choice. Whether we just want to maintain what we've been given or explore the power, we have to change it. We all have that power. We just want to seize it and then systematically apply it in our organizations. And And it's a, it's a beautiful thing. It, it's something that I think is also very natural and absolutely empowering, but it does have this kind of built in resistance because it is, it is a very new way of, uh, of looking at uh, organizations and, and customers.
1: Yeah, so, so well said, Gabra. I, w- I want to finish on this point. If you really think about, you know, going back to delighting your customers and really that infatuation, right? I think if we all kind of answer this one question of how many brands do you stay infatuated with for your entire life? it's going to be very, very, very minimal. Maybe one or maybe two, right? I mean, for me, I just keep thinking through infatuation and I'm looking around my office and what I see is I have a couple pair of Jordans sitting over in the box I in my corner and I have a couple that's on my bookshelf. And so, you know, that's something that's so rooted deep in me that I know it's still infatuated with it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, Ford is another one. I've always driven a Ford. Um, I recently had a Jeep, but traded it in for a Ford F-150, right? So Ford has just always kind of been that brand that I trust. Mm -hmm. Um, I think they've evolved that experience. I'm curious, are there any brands like that for you? Uh, Part one, the question is brands that you've stayed infatuated with for such a long period of time. And then the second piece of that question is, Knowing that infatuation really is the new loyalty, right? Infatuation follows customer behavior, and it really is the new loyalty. How mm. should CXOs and CMOs be thinking about this new shift in infatuation versus loyalty?
0: Yeah, so good, good question. Let me answer the the second one, uh, second part of it uh, first. So loyalty and satisfaction are to me much much, uh, less tangible and therefore uh, more both difficult to define measure and less reliable, right? So when a net promoter score asks you, uh, would you recommend uh, this uh, product or this experience? uh, To me, that's uh, very deceptive in, in the way that you're influencing the answer by asking the question right and you're only getting information back you're getting feedback at the time when you're actually taking a survey now contrast that with the concept of infatuation where the entire arena of social media is about our ability to our ability to express emotion right so if i loved uh, let's say my new canoe as you and your daughter have you probably go on social media and post a picture about it or even a comment about it. That's pure uh, uh, unsolicited emotional communication, right? And you can measure that and you can capture that. And I think that's real data. In fact, that's one of the things we're working on is something we call the infatuation interval index, right? So, So the idea of loyalty, I think, comes from, if you will, a whole series of ongoing infatuation intervals, right? That's, that's what loyalty or, or long-term satisfaction, if you like, is built around. So I think the right measurement to, to capture and understand customer attachment is infatuation and infatuation intervals. Uh, as far as my personal essence, and you're so right, we only have the ability to, to bond uh, with uh, with uh, just a few things really strongly emotionally and that goes across whether it's people, whether it's places or brands right And to me those in fact are your biggest competitors right so 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 whoever your target audience is, whatever they consider to be their favorite things uh, in life that you should consider as your most important competitors. and for me personally you know one of the, Uh, the things that that comes to mind is uh, Delta Airlines. So I've had a very long standing relationship with them. I mentioned them even uh, when it was Northwest became Delta. But I think they're a company that really cares about treating its customers and treating me in particular. Well, Uh, I continuously am positively surprised by their removal of things that I consider to be pain points in my experience, and for them to go the extra way to make sure that, that they're communicating their understanding of my customer journey. So, And I fly a lot internationally, and, and so I have a, a fairly deep experience with Delta, and uh, and I've been pretty impressed. So that's the one that comes to mind.
1: Yeah, I love it and I love the the the, the expl- explanation right of infatuation. This has just been an incredible conversation Gabber and I'm sure our, our listeners would love just to you know continue to listen. And for our listeners, you know, if you want to learn more about Gabber, we'll definitely include, you know, links to, you know, his different publications and um, you know, his website and and also his LinkedIn profile so you can also take a look at this slingshot framework. I think, Gabber, your, your work has been very transformational. It's made an impact, you know, just in the way that I've, I've been thinking, you know, the last several weeks since we first connected. And, and, and I know our listeners got incredible immense amount of value out of today's discussion. So for our listeners, you know, if you want to connect with Gabber, we'll have the links listed, um, you know, in, in the episode. Feel free to reach out to them. And, and Gabber, anything else that you'd like to just encourage our, our listeners?
0: You know, um, uh, let's, uh, let's end with another, uh, another uh, a fun quote, uh, and that is by uh, Wayne Gretzky. So Wayne Gretzky, of course, played hockey, but not only played hockey, he was the all-time best at the sport. In fact, he was so good that uh, he was called the great one. And once a reporter asked uh, Wayne, what is it that makes you so good? And he answered, it's very simple. I skate to where the puck is going to be, not where the puck is, right? And that, to me, is a, is a really nice takeaway message. So the whole idea about our ability to think creatively, ask the what-if questions, and, and, and to put ourselves among future shapers is simply looking ahead. Don't look at everything as it is today, but anticipate what it might be like tomorrow and be the first in that space to figure out what your customers will want or will be attracted to. And in a time of crisis like this is the perfect moment to do that because the the, the post-pandemic life will be very different than it was before.
1: Well said, couldn't have said it any better. So with that, thank you everyone for listening to Action This today. Uh, hope you got a lot out of, of the conversation as I did. And uh, looking forward to, uh, you know, bringing the next episode to you next week. Thanks for tuning in. For more on Consumer Insights and Experience the Chatter Effect, visit chatterresearch.com.